Brick Moon Fiction presents My Mom, My Dad, and My Brothers by Sam French. Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. We all shuffled from our respective corners of the house, clad in flannel and slippers or just giant t-shirts and tastefully baggy basketball shorts, to the center where, wrapped in golden lights, sat our monumentally large tree. As it did every year. We did this every year. Even as the family had spread across the country, me furthest of all from Indiana to Pennsylvania to New York, where I called my brothers from on most weekends for a quick hello, where I called my parents from less often just to chat, we came back, drawn as if by a magnet, as if moths to the flame, to the massive tree, to that special morning, to the familiar smells of cookies or salt melting the snow on the drive. We were not unique, but we felt special. To share with each other some stretch of time, small in the grand scheme of things, to be in sync for some seconds. It was special. This year had been difficult to make the trip. In addition to the general business of my life, I had run into bad weather in D.C., and my bus was slow in its journey on the 24th. But I was there. My brothers and mom were all already asleep in their childhood beds when I got in that night, but my dad was there to greet me and to take my bag for me. He understood it had been a long journey. So he poured me a whiskey and promised there would be plenty of time to catch up in the morning, by the fire, by the tree. The morning came and we all shuffled from our respective corners of the house, clad in flannel and slippers or just giant t-shirts and tastefully baggy basketball shorts, to the center. I greeted Mom and Dad again, and John and Jason, with brisk hugs that tickled with bright static electricity on this cold morning, in spite of the shock we held on. Mom went into the kitchen to get some tea going, None of us were allowed to drink coffee under her roof anymore. Too tempting. And I stared at the tree, the lights turning blurry because I'd left my contacts in overnight, the whiskey and the long bus ride having overpowered everything with the gravitational pull of my bed. The clanking of the teapot against the burner sounded from the kitchen, and I wondered how long we had all, all of us, stood there, silent and melancholic. I loved the holidays, but they could be difficult. I imagine I'm not unique in that perspective. I felt the same way about my family, and I guess I felt that way about all things that had their own mythologies, their own sets of stories, their own realities versus expectations. My brothers worked in civil engineering, but I was a sort of cultural anthropologist, or really more often mostly unemployed except for a few freelance articles existing as early drafts on my slowly breaking down laptop, and we all fostered an air of loneliness around ourselves that we dressed up as a romantic focus. Mom and Dad were certainly not disappointed in us, in the lives we led, but when they told stories about us, about our childhood or about our current pursuits, it was impossible to deny it seemed as if they were describing someone else. I don't mean they were lying. After all, the details and facts were all true, but the tone of their voice betrayed that they were talking about the kids they imagine and not the kids they have. Another example of a crafted mythology. Mom had been sad for a lot of our childhood. When I write about it now, her past sadness feels very Eugene O'Neill, very poetic, very cosmic even. But it was really just quiet. When she had been sad, the house had seemed like it had one less voice within it. We would watch her shuffle around the house for days at a time, like a marble slowly rolling, rolling only because nothing was there to stop it. She would snap out of this sadness with such fervor that we often suspected we had simply imagined the sadness being there at all. But when it returned, as it often did, it was undeniable. 
It was an animal waking up from hibernation on a regular schedule. She hadn't, however, been sad in many years. She seemed to exist now in a state of energetic kindness that babbled up to an extreme when me or one of my brothers visited. Christmas, then, when all of us were together, was joyful for her. Who brought that one? snapped John, taking us all out of the silence. I was grateful because I had started feeling nostalgic and melancholy in a way that was dangerous. I looked up to see what he was talking about, a particularly well-wrapped gift that sat slightly removed from the main pile of presents under the tree. Gold wrapping paper, a sprig of holly, neatly tucked corners. There it sat. We looked to each other, waiting for someone to volunteer it as their own, letting the silence stretch like wet dough. No one answered. A moment of quiet. The tea kettle whistled. In addition to being sad, my mom was a liar. She lied to us a lot, actually, as kids. She seemed to find a certain sense of sport or fun in it, though I wonder often if some of it was actually analytical, a test to see how far she could go or how clueless we actually were. It was mainly harmless things, vaguely on the level of Santa and the Easter Bunny, little stories about each other or about where we came from. These lies made us feel special, but always a little cold when we were old enough to know they had been lies. Sometimes it was just details about the world that we couldn't challenge her on, small enough to pass off as innocuous mistakes, like when I came home from the third grade and told my mother that the teacher had told me there weren't any lions in Mexico. She was just a liar, which was hard sometimes, in the same way it was hard sometimes that she was sad. Mostly, she was fine. I knew for sure she was no longer sad, but not being around often enough to examine the issue closely, I wasn't sure if she still lied. Once we had all taken in the small box, the particularly well-wrapped one, we looked at each other. We weren't a family for surprises. We weren't a family for sneak attacks, even in gift form. Though my presents were wrapped, untouched under the tree, I was sure I knew what they all were. John always gave me a jersey of some Midwestern college that he wanted me to still root for. Jason always gave me a DVD, I kept telling him I didn't have a DVD player, of his favorite movie from the summer. Mom always gave me ties that were a half inch too wide, and Dad always gave me a new mug from an NPR drive that year. So I didn't know who could have brought a surprise gift into the fold. I could tell from the looks on everyone else's faces that they, too, were confused. From the look on their faces, I guessed I was a predictable gift giver as well. Does it say anything on it? Mom asked. John, who had apparently become in charge of all actions involving the strange gift by virtue of being the one to notice it, stepped forward and bent down to examine it. He turned it over mechanically, side by side by side by side, his eyes scanning for some indication of where it came from. He shook his head. It really was a beautifully wrapped gift. As it was rotated in John's hands, the light from the tree bounced off the side of the golden paper, and the walls reminded me of the lights at middle school dances. The gift seemed light, even airy, as if he had to work to keep it from floating away. He had to hold on tight, side by side by side by side, with nothing written on it. I thought I saw fear flash across my mom's face. Dad had always been patient with mom throughout our childhood. He was a tentative ally to her, if not a team member. He would put her to bed and then put us to bed. He would gently correct her when it was possible, or pretend he hadn't heard what she said. He would read us books about the world, the real world, with a guilty expression on his face. 
but he loved her. That much was clear. And he loved us. He would tackle us one by one into a massive hug, becoming an ever-growing lump of family that would grow bigger when the next sun was in reach. Once we all moved away, he would send us postcards regularly of our hometown, with small notes of encouragement that he signed from both of them. Well? Mom was growing impatient. We could all see that there was nothing on it. I think by now I knew that this gift was not supposed to be here, that whoever put it there did not want their identity known, that the gift was, in some way, a collection of consequences that would be spilling out of the golden wrapping paper any minute. Any one of us could have put it there, under the tree. Any one of us would have had any number of opportunities to place it there unnoticed. Was it there last night, when I stumbled across the room, drunk, to take a piss in the bathroom? I tried to remember. I remember the lights of the Christmas tree. I remember snoring from some distant room. I remember Dad, still up, reading The New Yorker by a dying fire. I didn't remember if the gift had been there already or not. John, Jason, and I were very close throughout all of our childhood, even when it became clear we were becoming different people. Jason is the youngest and John the oldest, but there's only about 15 months in between each kid. We could run through the neighborhood together, watch the same movies, beat up on each other without any one kid coming up particularly disadvantaged. We'd love to camp in the backyard without Dad's permission, on nights he had gone to bed early and Mom wasn't paying attention. We'd look up at the stars. I think now, though this is probably just nostalgia speaking, that we wanted to make note of the vastness of the universe so that when we ultimately drifted apart, we would know what a relatively small distance we had traveled. Let's just open it. Dad's voice trickled in like a leak. Mom looked at him, on edge, but John's fingers were already tearing away the golden paper unceremoniously. After the paper was removed, what remained was a nondescript cardboard box. John then opened that, secrets are often contained within Russian dolls, and pulled out a cream envelope. John shuffled the envelope back and forth between his hands, staring at the rest of us, a thin smile across his face as if to say, what do we have here? But his hands were shaking slightly, betraying his projected sense of calm. The room itself seemed to be reverberating on a new frequency. Mom was pacing in place, shifting her weight from her left foot to her right, to her left foot, to her right, to her left foot. John's fingers slid between the envelope and its seal, and it tore open. Ow! he moaned. Paper cut. We all waited as he sucked a trickle of blood from his finger. He wiped the trickle of blood on his sweatpants. As he read the contents, the trickle of blood dried into a blotted stain on my brother's sweatpants. John sat down, the blotted stain twisting and contorting to his new shape. He passed on the paper to us, one by one. One by one, we slowly read the contents. When the paper reached the end of the line, it was passed back for a second read, for confirmation. When it got back to me, it had gone John, me, Jason, Mom, Dad, Mom, Jason, me again. It was slightly wrinkled and even damp, the sweat from Mom's hands having left its mark. I imagined the sweat straining through her pores, jumping the cosmically small distance between hand and paper, and trying to defy physics to try to mingle with the ink to try to change the words, to try to change the contents, as one last biological coup de grace from Mom herself. The word mom rang hollow. The words brothers and dad rang hollow. 
As I reread the paper, the Christmas lights seemed a more putrid yellow, more like a rotting glow. Mom always lied. I reminded myself as echoes of the tea kettle shouted too close to my ear. Mom always lied, and the putrid yellow rotting lights cast gaunt shadows of a family that might not even be my own. Shadows that danced around the room. Ghosts, vampires, strangers, aliens, scarecrows, wooden dolls, plastic tarps. Everything had changed. It wasn't actually the fact, Jason and I agreed later, that one of us wasn't biologically related. It was the fact that it had been kept secret. It was the fact that we didn't know who had kept the secret, how expansive this conspiracy was. I felt like I trusted Jason and I felt like I trusted John, but Jason and John and I agreed later. We didn't know what to think of Dad and we didn't know what to think of Mom and even though the idea of family was malleable, the idea of truth certainly was not. We could only be so flexible. The envelope had said that if we wanted more information, wanted to know which brother the DNA test belonged to, we could write back to the P.O. box in South Dakota. When Jason and John and I met later, when we agreed on so many things, we still hadn't decided if we'd be writing back. That conversation between the brothers didn't happen right away, though. After the gift was unwrapped and read and reread, we settled in silence to unwrap our gifts. John got me an Ohio State jersey. Mom got me a blue tie with tiny white embroidered foxes. My dad got me a ceramic NPR mug that could fit, I swear, an entire day's worth of coffee once I returned to New York, a land where coffee was allowed. There were some surprises, though. Instead of his usual DVD, Jason had gotten me the John Wick Blu-ray. I almost told him I didn't have a Blu-ray player, but then I remembered I didn't have a DVD player anyway. We drank tea and threw the wrapping paper into the hungry fire. The gold paper burned well, and the flames stayed strong and warm. Sam French is a writer and director located in Brooklyn. Originally from Florida, he is a recent graduate of Carnegie Mellon University. His plays have been produced in Pittsburgh, Florida, Martha's Vineyard, and New York. His short story, A Love Letter to the Boys of Summer, won the Adamson Award for Fiction at CMU. Sam was named a Top 20 Artist Under 25 in the Tampa area by Creative Loafing Magazine and has two one-acts published by Baker's Plays. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.